Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. I'm recording this episode on Thursday, April 11th, 2019. We've got a bunch of little things to talk about. Nothing crazy significant in this uh, episode, um, but there's been some interesting things that have happened in search. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Google's de-indexing bug. I think that was quite a significant thing that happened over the last week. Um, and a number of other little tips and tricks that hopefully will help you to get better rankings for your website. So first of all, as we always do, we'll start off with algorithm updates. There really weren't any significant updates that we can see over the last week of time or so. So the last significant update would have been the March 12th update that was confirmed by Google as a quality update. Uh, and we're still getting a lot of requests for help with uh, sites that were hit March 12th. We should be starting to get on to those reviews uh, fairly soon. So hopefully we'll have some more information uh, as to whether there was anything specific with uh, the March 12th update that um, Google was going after there. But I really think it was just a, a tweak to how they assess EAT. A lot of sites that had been working on improving EAT both on-site and off-site, uh, saw some nice improvements on March 12th. And uh, we had some clients that had come to us for site reviews um, and hadn't really made any changes since we did our review for them. These were sites that were hit like August 1st or September 27th. And a number of those saw further hits with March 12th as well. Um, these were almost all sites that we had identified as having EAT-related issues. Uh, so really, March 12th, that's my my um, number one thing right now is that it's connected to EAT, expertise, authoritativeness, and trust. But hopefully we'll have more information on that for you in the future. So if you look at the algo checker tools, the MozCast and uh, Algaroo, things like that, they're all showing some significant turbulence over the last weekend, uh, starting with last Friday, which I think was the 6th of April. I could be wrong on that. Um, and so most of you probably know this. I, If you're a newsletter subscriber, either free or paid, we send out an email to all of our newsletter subscribers just to let people know that there was a big bug on Google's side that caused a lot of pages to drop out of Google's index. So we did have a couple of requests from uh, people who had noticed that their pages were dropping out of the index. Uh, on Over the weekend, really, we had a couple of requests, but it really wasn't super widespread. So I read something today on the Moz site that, uh, according to Dr. Pete, they feel that this bug uh, affected 4% of the, um, I'm not sure if it was queries or pages, but you know, a significant, that that's really a significant number. So what happened here? We don't have an exact story. We had lunch uh, this week with Martin Split from Google, who is fantastic. If you have any questions about JavaScript, uh, and you know we cover in the newsletter Martin's um, videos on JavaScript use, they are incredible. Now, Martin didn't obviously tell us exactly what happened with this Google bug, but essentially what he said was, you know, something changed, which changed something else, and then that affected another algorithm, and then there was this chain reaction that ended up causing uh, certain pages to be de-indexed. I can't really see any pattern. I don't think that it's just spam pages that got de-indexed. Um, we had clients uh, of ours that 
you know, really aren't in spammy verticals. They don't compete with black hats as far as I can see. Uh, and they saw pages drop out of the index as well. And these were high quality sites. They're ones that, um, you know, not all of them were even hit by algorithm uh, quality updates. So, uh, so I don't know exactly what happened. If you saw that you had pages drop out of the index, it's supposedly fixed by now. Um, so again, as I'm recording this, this is Thursday, April 11th. Uh, apparently as of yesterday, this whole bug was fixed. Now I've seen people say, well, no, I've got pages that uh, are still aren't in the index. And what we don't know is whether those pages initially were in the index. Um, you'd be surprised. If you have a big site, you'd be surprised to see how many pages actually are aren't indexed. Um, there was something interesting though, John Mueller, when he was uh, answering questions about this, um, I thought this was interesting. He said, one thing to add here, we don't index all URLs on the web. So even once it's reprocessed here, it would be normal that not every URL on a site is indexed. So we know that that's, that's, that makes sense, right? That not every URL is going to get indexed. But this sentence is really interesting to me. Awesome sites with minimal duplication help us recognize the value of indexing more of your pages. So how many times have we in the past gone over this argument about thin content and whether, uh, and duplicate content and whether duplicate content, let's stick with duplicate content here. Can duplicate content be a penalty? And you know, we talk all the time about, oh, if you have a terms and conditions page and it's essentially the same as everybody else's, don't worry about it. It's not like Google is going to say, ah, we're gonna penalize this site because they have a piece of content that's very similar to other people's sites. Um, but what we do see, and, and this is really the first time in a long time that I've heard a Google employee actually say that duplicate content could hurt a site. Now, if we look back to when Panda first came out, and Amit Singhal's 23 questions, which we refer to all the time. Uh, they, there is a question, there's talking about um, redundancy and duplication and are you adding significant value as compared to the rest of the web? Uh, and that can affect your overall assessment of quality. And what John is saying here, I think, you know, he says awesome sites with minimal duplication help us recognize the value of indexing more of your pages. So if you have a site with a million pages and you know 980,000 of those pages are essentially duplicates of each other, uh, but you've just used a script to you know make the state name different or the city name different or something like that, that can affect Google's overall assessment of quality for the site. And even if I'm wrong on that, which I really don't think I am, but if I'm wrong on that, it can affect your crawl budget. Um, and so if Google is spending, you know, most of their day crawling these 980,000 pages, which are essentially low quality, the remaining 20,000 pages of your site that are high quality might not get the attention from Google that they should. So we've been seeing decent results from sites where we've helped them clean up massive amounts of either duplication or thin content. And I really would encourage you uh, to do that. Again, I mentioned this last week, but... If you um, have thin content, you have to be really careful before you just go trimming everything out of the index. Just because something's old doesn't mean that it's thin. So you have to have a bit of knowledge as to, you know, is this really important to have in the index? Just because it's 10 years old, you know, well, maybe that's not so valuable to have on your site. Um, but if it was super valuable years ago, then I would still keep this content on your site. Um, so my point in saying all of this is just to say, you know, when Google says there's no duplicate content penalty, 
they're not saying that your site can perform better without duplicate content. Uh, you know, I, I think that, or maybe I've put too many knots in there. I think you understand what I'm saying. Um, you don't want to have a crazy amount of duplicate content. Uh, and the quality raters guidelines talk as well about what they call near duplicate content. Uh, and I've spoken about that many times. If you have a site that you're essentially regurgitating the news that everybody else is talking about, unless you can bring your own unique perspective, not just unique words, uh, but something where if a user was shown your page next to the originator of this content, would they truly want to read both versions of this content? If you're really just rehashing news that people can get elsewhere, this can be a sign of, uh, of low quality as well. Uh, Google announced that they have some new date commands. So um, most of you probably know that in the search results in the past, there was a little filter that you could click to say, oh, I only want to see things from this date. So if I was looking for something that I know I wrote in like 2012, I could look for my name and uh, I could use the search filter um, drop-down box in the past to say, oh, I only want to see stuff from 2012. They've taken that drop-down filter off and... Um, now, apparently what happens is you can use, and this is going to be really hard to explain on podcast, but uh, you can use the words in your search query before, so the example that they give is before colon 2018. Um, I'm still a bit unclear as to whether we need, the examples that they gave us have square brackets around uh, some of the words, and I don't know. I'm not sure if this is working completely for me. I think it's still kind of messed up. Um, I did a search for my own name and before 2016, I think it was. And I still saw lots of stuff that um, it's doing something because it's not showing me the same thing as a regular search for my name now. Uh, and it did show me, you know, a Moz blog post that I wrote a while back uh, before 2016. Um, but it's also showing interviews that I did like just a couple of months ago. So I don't think it works 100%. Um, I think it's something that uh, Google will be playing around with. Um, I don't really think there's a whole lot that we need to take from this in terms of uh, improving our SEO work, but it's important for us to know that. So this is another, as far as I understand, is a search operator, kind of like the info colon command that they retired recently, or uh, the one you know we use all the time is site colon uh, when you're doing a search. So um, if, you, if any of you have a really neat use for the date command, then feel free to tweet that at me. Um, I'll include it in a, in a newsletter. Um, and my Twitter handle is Marie underscore Haynes. Uh, so you can find me there. Um, let's see. This is really interesting. In Chrome 75, they're going to start doing lazy loading by default. Now, I don't claim to be an expert on lazy loading by any means. And I asked Martin Split about this when we had our lunch with him. And the way I understand it is you can add just a tiny bit of code to the images on your page to say, all right, Chrome, whenever you open this page, uh, lazy load the images that have this um, attribute on it, basically. And what that will do is all of the images above the fold on a user's screen will load as normal. And then as they scroll, the content will start to, the images will start to load into the page as people scroll down. Now, some of you are saying, you know, what, how is this different than using lazy loading today? And as I understand it, it means that uh, it's just really easy to implement because I think the way that lazy loading is implemented now using JavaScript, using, you know, whatever sort of uh, framework you're trying to use, it's really, it takes a lot of skill 
to do it right. Uh, and so the way I understand this now is that developers will very easily be able to mark uh, images as being um, candidates for lazy loading. Uh, and that'll help speed up the web. So it'll be interesting to see if people see their page speed improve. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, I don't know where this comes from. Uh, we wrote in the newsletter, current figures estimate that lazy loading could make a web, could make web browsing faster by 18 to 35% interesting stuff. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, if you have an Android app, there's apparently now uh, new data in Search Console for your Android apps. So you can take a look at that. Um, I'm going to skip over. We had a bunch of stuff about ads in this newsletter. Uh, it's interesting stuff if you are in paid at all. Um, not uh, at this point my area of expertise, but um, feel free to jump on. This is episode 78, uh, search news you, you can use. Uh, if you go to mariehaines.com slash newsletter, you'll be able to find the most recent episode, episode 78, and find uh, some new information about ads and a number of things here. Um, let's see what else we can do. There's some new stuff about AMP story results. I don't see a lot of people using these. I think it's sort of the big players who are using these AMP stories. I really predict these are going to be a big thing though. So, um, you know, if AMP is something that you're into, I would really take a look at AMP stories. I think, uh, initially I think a lot of people were like, oh, Google's just trying to copy Instagram. Um, but it's different. And, uh, uh, I, I wouldn't surprise me if this is something that we're talking a lot about in a year or two from now. So, a good thing to, you know, this is actually just thinking of this. I didn't plan this before the podcast, but I know there's somebody out there right now and you're trying to make a name for yourself in SEO. If you've got any knowledge of AMP, um, there's room for somebody to be the expert on AMP stories. Uh, and who knows, I could be wrong with this and maybe, you know, a year from now we won't even have AMP, but I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, and I, I, the reason why I say it is that's what happened to me. I, you know, somehow became an expert on Google penalties. And then, uh, you know, we started paying attention to Google's quality raters guidelines. And I feel like, you know, we've, we've done good work at becoming known as experts on the quality raters guidelines on EAT. Uh, and that gets, uh, gets us a lot of business. It gets us a lot of brand recognition. Um, so AMP stories, that's an area that's probably ripe for somebody to jump in and become the expert on it. So uh, good luck to you. If you're, if you're all excited thinking about that, then uh, you should go for it. You know, don't think, uh, I'm not going to make this a self-help podcast, but we, I was talking with some of my team about imposter syndrome uh, the other day. And I think many of you listening to this have imposter syndrome. I used to until just recently. I, I would go to conferences and think, you know, everybody else went to school for this and everybody else knows way more than I do. Um, and I would just talk on the issues where I felt like I had good knowledge, like links and penalties and um, stuff like that. Uh, but you know what? almost everybody has this imposter syndrome. So sometimes the community uh, in terms of SEO can be a little bit toxic when people try to step out there and do new things. But um, I would just encourage you to to jump out there and become known as an expert, whether it's AMP stories or what. It, it really worked well for me. So um, feel free to reach out to me again on Twitter if you have questions about that. I'd, I'd be happy to uh, point somebody in the right direction and give you some tips as to how to become a, a better e expert in SEO. Um, let's see here. There was more talk about uh, 301 redirects and whether they count as a backlink. And this can get a little bit confusing. If I have sites A and B, pages A and B, and I redirect page A to page B, 
that doesn't count as a link. It's not like page B is getting a link from page A. However, let's say page A has a hundred different links pointing to it. In most cases, all of those link signals will pass on through the redirect. Um, I thought it was interesting. John's response said, links to the redirecting URL could be seen as links to the redirection target. I think Google's gotten pretty good in a lot of cases at recognizing, especially if somebody buys an expired domain, uh, at recognizing like, oh yeah, this domain has changed hands and these links that we attributed to the domain last year probably aren't appropriate to this domain anymore. Um, they don't always get it right, I think, and that's the you know that's probably the basis of most PBNs out there. Um, so I think in some cases, Google can recognize where to counter redirect and where not to, uh, but know that. And the place where this is really important is if you have unnatural links pointing to a page. So if you have unnatural links pointing to page A and you redirect page A to page B, those unnatural links are now pointing at page B. And what we're seeing is that these unnatural links, they can cause Google's algorithms to say, you know, there's something fishy going on with the link profile to this page, this um, website, whatever. Uh, and so maybe we'll put less trust in all of their links overall. Um, and this, you know, I've been saying this a lot more lately because I think, you know, people say, how would Google know that this one link is a natural link or not? And I'm 100% sure that they look at patterns. And they can see, you know, and they and they can rarely say algorithmically with certainty, oh, this site is building unnatural links. But in a lot of cases, you know, they can have suspicion. And if they have suspicion, it can affect your rankings. I'm, I'm completely sure on this. So we're uh, actually, this is my project to work on for the next little while is um, we're beefing up our services in terms of link audits. And if you are an agency, an SEO agency, and you're interested in referring link audit work to us, uh, then please do reach out to me. Uh, because um, we're going to be starting a white label program fairly soon uh, so that you can send link audit work to us. We can do all the hard work and then you can uh, um, present that to your client and hopefully take all of the credit for um, improved rankings should they happen. Um, okay, we've got a lot of really neat little tips from conferences, which uh, again, you can go to the newsletter episode 78 to read that. Um, Let's see what else we can add here. Yeah, a lot of these are just conference tips. I thought it was interesting. We're seeing more and more people talking about getting conversions from DuckDuckGo. I haven't paid a lot of attention to DuckDuckGo, but I really think that the time is coming where, um, you know, people are not going to be completely uh, married to Google um, for the future. It wouldn't surprise me if a new search engine comes out in the next couple of years that gives Google a run for their money. Uh, but who knows? It's a lot of work to uh, to create a, a, a good search engine, I'm sure. Um, let's see. We've got information in the newsletter, uh, apparently on how you can bold your title tags in uh, uh, as they appear in browsers or in the search results, actually, too. It's using a type of Unicode called Math Sans Bold. Uh, so if that's the type of thing you want to spend time on, then you can now bold your uh, search results um, or the title tag, at least in the search results. Uh, there's a new version of Schema that was released. I don't know much about this, um, so I'm going to skip over it. But if, uh, you know, Schema is something we should all be trying to mark up everything that we can mark up on our pages, um, because the more we can do to tell search engines what our sites are about, the better. Um, 
Let's see. I think we're almost near the end here. Um, oh, going back to Martin Split. If you use dynamic rendering for your website, Martin really wants to talk to you. Um, he was saying that uh, they really want to, Google wants to get a feel for how people use dynamic rendering and what Google can do to uh, make this easier process, basically. So um, if you have had problems with using it or you even have a successful case study, uh, Martin's Twitter handle is, I feel like I should know what this is, but I don't. It's G33KONAUT. G33KONAUT. Martin, if I'm butchering your Twitter handle, let me know. Let me know what it means. <laughs> um, let's see. We've got a couple of more things, perhaps. There's something new in Google My Business on um, product catalogs. You can now get those uh, through the product editor in desktop. Apparently before it was only available on mobile version. So if you are a local business and you're making use of products in Google My Business, then I would recommend uh, paying attention to that. I thought this was interesting. This was a screenshot that Chris Boggs took from uh, Andrew Shotland's talk at uh, Advanced Search Summit. And these are Andrew's um, top correlating factors for the, the number one ranking factors, basically, or one through eight. Uh, now, I don't know what this is based on. Um, might be based on their own client information, but uh, I know that Andrew does you know a lot of local SEO, so he knows what he's talking about here. The number one factor that he uh, thinks is important in ranking for local search is the distance from the center of search. So we know that. Proximity a few years ago became a really big factor. And if I do a search for my business and I'm standing right outside my business, I'm probably going to rank number one. If I do a search for my keywords across town, I may not rank so well for that. Um, number two was the total additional organic rankings. Interesting, right? So it used to be that you could rank a site locally even if they had no organic presence whatsoever. And it's becoming more and more important now that uh, you actually have good SEO to rank properly organically, not just in the maps listings, in order to get good maps listings as well. Number three was the number of reviews with a keyword. Now, I had an argument with somebody about, oh, it was about replying to reviews. Somebody told me that it wasn't a ranking factor um, whether you replied to reviews or not. Uh, and you know, I think nobody's ever officially come out and said, oh yes, this is a ranking factor. Um, I think Andrew's got this. Number six, number of reviews not responded to. Um, yeah, I still think every, as long as it's feasible, every business owner should be responding to every review, uh, especially if it's a negative review, um, but even the positive ones. And then feel free to add the odd keyword in there. Uh, and we've said too that... Um, you should be encouraging your clients to leave reviews by asking questions that are uh, geared towards your keywords. So, you know, if you um, are a hotel and you want people to leave reviews about how comfortable your beds are, then you can uh, ask them a question saying, hey, were our beds comfortable? Could you tell others about it? And then people are more likely to use keywords in their reviews. So uh, there's a couple other things on this list too that, uh, again, is in the local SEO section of our newsletter. There's also a tip from Joy Hawkins on how to report a fake unverified maps listing. If you uh, see some Google My Business spam and the listing is not claimed, then uh, you can suggest an edit and report it as spam. And what Joy's saying is if you have a trusted profile, so if you've reported some spam before, 
before um, and Google recognizes you as you're not a spammer yourself, uh, then uh, it really should um, publish. So, uh, so sometimes it can be pretty easy to get rid of the spam listings. I know a lot of local SEOs, that's a huge component of what you do is uh, day in and day out, just getting rid of spam listings that are on there. And it's a shame that uh, Google's not on top of um, of this. Hopefully, they'll make some improvements in the future. So we have to spend less time spam fun fighting and more time actually improving quality. Um, let's see. Oh, and then I think we'll end with this last thing. Uh, it's interesting. The FTC has uh, dished out some multi-million dollar fines to robocalling companies. Uh, and I'm sure we've all gotten these uh, calls saying your Google listing is going to expire or your categories aren't correct or you're going to get a Google penalty. Um, I think I've told the story before, but I had a, a client um, have one of these people call me after uh, calling him. <laughs> and uh, the person was telling me how my client's site was ripe for a Google penalty. And it was ridiculous. The site hadn't, it was brand new site. I think it had like four links pointing to it. They were all very good links. And I, <laughs> I'm usually pretty gentle on the phone, but I, after a while, I got really frustrated. I said, do you even know who I am? <laughs> and then I felt dumb after that. That's not a very humble thing for me to say. But um, the point is, these people are doing these robocalls. I mean, they're, well, the robocall is just reading off of a script, but people fall for this stuff. stuff. So it's good to know that the FTC is uh, cracking down on this, and um, we should be seeing fewer and fewer of these types of calls in the future, I hope. One thing new I wanted to add before I signed off today was that we're going to be uploading the podcast to YouTube as well. So if you prefer to use YouTube as opposed to your regular podcast uh, medium, then uh, there won't be any video with it, but you'll get the exact same voice recording. Uh, and on YouTube, you can press the little, you can subscribe to Marie Haynes Consulting Inc., and uh, press the little bell notification button. And then every time we do a podcast, you'll get a notification for it. So um, that's a, a new thing that we're working on now. And that's all we're going to talk about this week. So, uh, you know, a few number of things that had happened. The de-indexing thing was quite interesting. And I'm sure next week we'll have some new controversy to, <laughs> to talk about as well. Until then, I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. And uh, hopefully um, we will connect soon. I'll just leave with this one final thing. If you want to reach my team, you can reach them at help, H-E-L-P, at mariehaines.com. Take care, and we'll talk soon.